Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and for the next three weeks, we are going to reclaim politics. The question for you to start off with today is, what are the feelings that you have leading into the midterm elections? Enjoy. For 34 weeks now, we have been in the Gospel of Luke in this Reclaim series because there is a reality and a recognition of the type of people who are finding a home at a place like New Abbey. And it's this reality that you have moved from some construction, some form of God or faith or humanity in which you have now questioned. That was the home that you grew up in or the church that you grew up in or the way of life in that small town in Central California. I don't know what the thing is but you came from that and now you've deconstructed the things. But you don't end at deconstruction. When we end in deconstruction and we constantly question everything and critique everything and challenge everything, eventually it's just cynicism all day, every day, my friends. And so we have to move from the construction and the places that we found ourselves and we have to move into the deconstruction and question some of the realities that are out there and then eventually we move into this place of reconstruction where we don't throw all the baby out with the bathwater where we pick up some things and we say, oh, God can be there. Jesus can be in that. I don't know how everyone's defining God, Jesus, church, humanity, life, faith, in those other areas, but when they see Jesus in me, they're going to hear a different narrative. And that's the thing that we're working on as we move through this Reclaim series. Again, we're nine chapters in, people, and it's taken us 34 weeks. We are never leaving this thing, which is great. What we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to talk about the politics of Jesus. How do we reclaim some things in the Gospel of Luke? And we're going to look at politics in a much broader perspective of what it means for humanity and work really hard against the boxes that we've been given, which is, you are an elephant or you are a donkey, my friend, right? That we believe that the politics of Jesus, that this kingdom, that this gospel is much deeper than that. And the reality of the humanity that Jesus offers us can be reclaimed. And we're going to have to do a little bit of work to get there. What we're going to talk about today is power. Because most of us, if you grew up as good Protestants or Catholics or evangelicals or whatever that thing was in the United States, one of the major themes, in fact, one of the most talked about themes in the entire Bible was power. But none of us ever heard that in a Sunday sermon because we are the most powerful people on planet Earth. And so you don't want to critique power when you're the frickin' empire, people, right? When you have a $778 billion defense budget, critiquing power feels a little challenging. And so we have to work really, really hard to think about power in a new way and how we localize power and politics within ourselves. And then where do we go from there? And how do we make sense of this? And how do we create some concrete Um, practices out of it to think about politics and our humanity and the way that we engage in the world in a different way. I want to define power in a couple ways here. It's coming. Processing. First one. There we go. Politics wants to solve the world's problems. That's its goal. Politics is the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties 
or hoping to achieve power. This is what politics is. But as we look at Jesus, we're going to localize power in a different way. We want to localize power into an embodied experience that you have, and that it's out of your embodied experience that we change politics. Most of the time in this country, how we deal with politics and power is we talk about it at the highest 30,000 foot view, and it's Trump versus this, or the Democrats versus this, or whatever versus whatever. But what we need to do is localize it in another way so that we can talk about politics and power from the bottom up. Up instead of from the top down. And that will take a little bit of effort because the way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is this. Jesus wants to heal the world through transformed lives. This is the politics of Jesus. This is the work of the gospel of Luke. Jesus is constantly on this road, utilizing his power in a different way. And it's not to accumulate and to protect, but it's to empower and create more powerlessness to change and transform the world. But all of that we'll get to in a minute. But first, we gotta do some things. So, we gotta talk about power. Oh, we gotta talk about middle management. We gotta talk about power. We gotta talk about fear. And then we gotta talk about anger. And then we gotta talk about love. Then if we're gonna do that, we gotta talk about information, a little bit of reformation, but really what we wanna talk about is transformation. Then if we're gonna do that, we gotta talk about Kanye West, because he said some shit this week, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then we gotta talk about a third way, Dave Chappelle, because we gotta balance out Kanye West. Uh, then we gotta talk about in and out because you know, we live in Southern California, and then how love is not a concept. And we're gonna do that briefly. All right, here we go. <laughs> Some of the people I love most on planet Earth are people in middle management, all right? These are the people who either have all of the power or none of the power, and you know what I'm talking about. These are the people at the restaurants who actually have no power because they're the general manager, and so they wanna like get in a fight with you about the American cheese or the cheddar cheese being the right cheese, and you're like, well, I'm the customer here. Why are you debating me? Or they're like the Geico person that you're talking to, and they actually have no power, but they wanna stop you right here, and they will not transfer your call to somebody else. Sorry, it's not Geico, it's always AT&T. Frickin' AT&T, am I right? Every time, there's a middle management person there who actually has no power to change your bill, but they have been designed and created to use all of their power to let you know, you shall not get the refund on those fees, my friends, right? But also some of you know that in the hospitality world, these middle management people sometimes also have the capacity to make your life incredible because they'll use their power for the realization of, it's not my money. If you want the upgrade, get the upgrade, my friends. So let me tell you a little story about that. A few years back, I took my wife on a secret 30th vacation, 30th birthday vacation to Vancouver. Uh, and she got home one day from work. This is pre-kids. And when she got home, her sister was waiting there. Actually, it's not pre-kids. We had one kid. And uh, her sister was there. I have like 19 kids now, people. I can't be expected to keep track of what's going on here. She shows up. Her sister is waiting there. I say, you have 30 minutes. You have to pack your bags. We're leaving for your birthday vacation. So already, right, the magic has been set. So we get to LAX. She has no idea where we're going until we get to the airport and we're getting on like Canada Air or something like that. And she finds out that we're going to Vancouver. So the people are talking to us and they're saying, oh, what are you doing going to Canada? And I'm like, I'm an amazing husband and taking my wife here on her 30th birthday to a surprise trip to Canada. And they're like, oh, that's... Amazing, sir. Uh, what, what could we do to make your trip better? I said, you could always give us first class. And they gave us first class. Yeah. So now, you know, I'm sitting first class, getting my drinks before everyone else, just like watching coach come in, am I right? <laughs> Difficult. These people keep making eye contact with me. I'm in first class. 
Then we get off our first class seat and we get to our hotel, which uh, was the Four Seasons, not because I'm a baller, but because there was an Expedia deal in which it was the same price as the Marriott. So we get to the Four Seasons and we're at the front desk and we get there a little bit late and now the middle management person there is standing in front of me who has all of the power or none of the power, I do not know yet, right? And I'm talking with her and she's asking us about why we're there and again, I gave my speech. Well, I'm surprising my wife here for her 30th birthday. You know, they gave us first class on the way up here. And she says, well, sir, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but the room that you were in, a pipe burst, we have to put you in another room, and it's going to be kind of be on a couch, and I know that's not what you expected. I said, you know what? All this could easily be solved if you just gave us the presidential suite. <laughs> she goes to look into something and comes back and says, sir, you have the presidential suite. <laughs> now I am in my... 2,500 square foot presidential two-story suite on the 44th and 45th floor of the Vancouver, right? Feeling pretty good about myself at this point as they ship up the chocolate-covered strawberries and the champagne. And of course, they gave us a free breakfast because of the inconvenience that we were gonna maybe hypothetically sleep on a couch that night. Instead, we were in a presidential suite. And we had a fabulous weekend, and that lady did everything that she could to make our lives incredible. She used all of her middle management power to say, why not? The room was sitting empty. You might as well have a great time. And then we left Canada, and we got back to the airport, and they said, sir, how was your time in Canada? I said, oh, it was an incredible weekend. I surprised my wife. All these things happened. I said, really, the only thing that will make this better is if I get first class. They said, here you go, sir. Here's first class. Oh. And then I got back in my Jetta and went back to my apartment after that. <laughs> That's real life, my friends. I think all power is localized at some capacity. And here's this woman who used her power and whatever power that she had in the world to make our lives better. It wasn't her money. I did everything that I could after that to like find the like highest up email that I could find at the Four Seasons. I said, so-and-so changed my weekend. This was amazing. I'm so thankful. And like the president of the Four Seasons ended up contacting us and saying, like, thank you so much for giving this fabulous contact. This is what we would hope for out of the hospitality service that we had. And she said, anytime you're at the Vancouver Four Seasons, contact me again. Oh, I will. <laughs> Except I've had 14 more children since then and cannot afford to go to Vancouver anymore. So 2032, I will find her out. <laughs> Power is localized. People use their powers in all kinds of different ways. And so I want to think about power in this context. Power is a primary theme in the Bible. And power does two things. And I just want to spell some things out. This is accumulate and this is protect. All that power does is it accumulates power. Every single one of us in this room at some point have accumulated power in any capacity. Maybe that's the relationships that you have in your family. Maybe that it's at work. Maybe that's the wealth that you have. In some type of dynamic on planet Earth, you have accumulated power in some capacity. And then what happens as human beings is after we've accumulated any bit of power, we do all that we can to protect this power. Right? This is true of nation states. Again, the United States of America, the wealthiest nation that this world has ever seen, has accumulated a bunch of wealth. And so what does it do on a daily basis? It protects it and it calls it a defense budget. Right? Even though we're one of the most violent countries on planet Earth and just one of the most violent countries because of our military industrial complex and who we are as human beings. But that's really a sermon for another day. Um, and this circle just continues with power. 
and this is not to critique it all right now. We don't have time and space for that. It's just the realization of this is what power does. It accumulates and then it protects. But the way of Jesus is not to accumulate power and not to protect power. This is how we are hardwired if we are United States citizens in some capacity. I know there's a diversity of our experiences and we all come from different backgrounds and some of us had more power than others, but this thing is hardwired into the American dream. And so we have to do a little bit of work to get to the way of Jesus, which is how do we become powerless and how do we empower? This is the cycle of Jesus, which is very different than accumulating and protecting power, right? Thus the narrative of incarnation is the one with all of the power, God, comes to earth, right? Becomes a human being and doesn't use that power to lord over people. Doesn't use that power to accumulate more things. Doesn't use that power to protect but endlessly uses that infinite power to become more powerless in order to empower those that are powerless. And that's the cycle, the generative cycle that Jesus does versus the vicious cycle that is a part of our culture. You need to have these lenses on if we're gonna appropriately look at the Gospel of Luke. So let's read the Gospel of Luke chapter nine. Remember what right happened before this is that there was a transfiguration that took place. Peter, James, and John are up on a mountain. Jesus is there, transfigured into white. Moses and Elijah show up. God speaks, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. It was literally a mountaintop moment. After that, Jesus comes down from the mountain and there's a demon-possessed boy, which is this reality that we do not live on mountaintop moments, that the real work of discipleship or following Jesus is actually on the ground floor. And on the ground floor, there's real brokenness, there's real pain, there's real hurt, there's real systems. That's the narrative that we just came from over the last few weeks. This sets us up incredibly well to talk about power and to talk about politics. So now everyone has seen Jesus heal this demon-possessed boy and we get into these narratives which are gonna flip the accumulation and protection of power to Jesus trying to show his disciples what it's like to become powerless and to empower. All right, we have those lenses on, now we can read. So awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power because that's what happens. You see something incredible, you're like, that was mysterious. That was wonderful. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't expect that you were gonna give me the presidential suite. I had a little bit of awe. When you experience power in a great way in those moments, that's, that's a normal response. I have a little bit of awe that somebody localized and utilized their power to empower, to become powerless and not to accumulate or to protect, right? We're there, we're thinking this way. Listen to me and remember what I say. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Take this verse, now raise your hand if you've been to a church on Memorial Day or the 4th of July and they have the F-16s flying across the screen. Anybody go to that church? I'm the only person who went to that church. That's unbelievable. That's the context that I grew up in. A lot of churches who, we're not repeating this verse, we're repeating this that somehow God loves American Christians and particularly Christian American soldiers more than the rest of the planet. But that's not the thesis statement that Jesus constantly comes back to. The thesis statement that Jesus comes back to is the son of man, which is just the human one, is constantly going to live into a world of powerlessness because the best humanity is not found accumulating or protecting power. The best of humanity is found when we choose to be powerless and we choose to empower other people. This is where Jesus begins. His disciples, on the other hand, are not that sharp, and we're gonna find this out. But they didn't know what he meant. Hmm, tell us more, Jesus. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. 
Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Are you laughing now? Right? This is the irony. Jesus just got through saying, the son of man is going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. But Jesus never talked about things in theory. This is why it's particularly difficult for a lot of Western Christians to follow Jesus because most of what we talk about with God is in theory. Most of us don't have the practice of suffering. That's partly why I'm actually grateful for New Abbey in a lot of ways. This is gonna sound odd and I'm already regretting saying it, so here we go. (laughs) Many of us in this room come from powerless pasts. And I think that God is bringing about healing, transformation and maturity particularly from the women, the queer community, and the people of color here, because you've experienced a different kind of America. And the salvation of America will come from you and less from people who look like this. I believe that wholeheartedly, because that's the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is not a theory or a theology, it is a way of practice. And it is the people who get that the Son of Man will be betrayed who change and transform the world, not the people who sit in the top of pyramids, right? or sit on top of whatever power structures. That's not to say that I can't use my power to build a bridge towards powerlessness because I, it's not unbeknownst to me the fact that I can walk into a Four Seasons looking like this and that I'll get the presidential suite. I recognize that and I recognize, again, I say this in here all the time, that when my kids see a police officer, they only get stickers. When most of the young men that I work with on the Pasadena High School basketball team see a police officer, they are asked to sit on the corner and to empty their pockets. I understand that that is not fair. I understand that that is not equal. And so wherever you find yourself in the conversation, on the side of power or powerlessness, this is requesting that we build the bridge to the other side. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Right, this is what Jesus does. You guys aren't getting it. Let me bring you somebody who understands vulnerability in a child. A child doesn't work hard every day to accumulate and protect their power. A child just is, especially a healthy child, right? In a family that's loved. This child is not worried about, right? The socio-political economic situations that are going on planet earth. This child is like, there is a ball and I shall kick this ball. (laughs) And that's what Jesus was doing. Humanity is at its best when we can let go of some of these layers and we can truly just see ourselves for who we are, as loved, as made in this image of God, as pleased by God. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. Right? This is all supposed to be funny. This is all supposed to be like, they really don't get it because we don't always get it but we told them to stop because he isn't in our group. Don't you love this? How many churches have you heard that in? We told the Catholics, you better stop talking about the Bible. You're Catholics. We told the Methodists, we're the Presbyterians, and of course we have it all the right way. And some of you lived on the opposite side, right? Where the Catholics were like the Protestants, they don't even know the Pope. Whatever the thing may be, we love tribalism. And we're supposed to be the one group on planet Earth who doesn't love tribalism that way. And Jesus is challenging that. So, but Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Stop dealing with the tribalism. If someone's bringing about healing, let them bring about healing, right? This is why I tell people in this community all of the time when they're like, ah, the Christianity things I'm struggling with and I'm doing Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or whatever. I'm like, whatever, just bloom where you're planted. You can't unwire all that other stuff. I would never try to convince a Buddhist to be Christian. I might point a Buddhist towards some Christ consciousness, 
But I'm like, if you're already doing the work of Christ and you're doing the work of Christ, I don't really care about the label. Some of you are terrified by that statement. Deal with it. <laughs> I don't see Jesus, there you go. I don't see Jesus proselytizing or converting people. Jesus is constantly asking people to follow him though. Right? He's, he's asking them to follow him into practices of love and fruit. Not, can you articulate the Trinity for me, please? Right? It's less of that and more of, do you love people? If you're loving people, great. That's the way of Christ because that's the way that brings powerlessness and powers humanity in this world. So at the time drew near for him to ascend into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Again, we don't live 2,000 years ago and we are wired in the way of being powerful. So what this means is Jesus was heading towards the political, religious, and kinship center of his world. And when you mess with these systems, 10 out of 10 times, guess what we do to you? We kill you because you don't mess with the systems. The systems are working. They're happy in Kansas. Stop messing with the systems, right? If you love your life, then don't question what the powers are doing. And Jesus challenged all of the systems of his day and constantly challenge the systems of our day as well. And he sent messengers ahead of him to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of that village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. So when James and John saw this, they were brilliant. And they said, Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? What? You're a bunch of, yeah, you're a bunch of dum-dums. You all laugh. But what if you were hanging out with Jesus and, you're, and Jesus is like, I'm heading to Washington to go hang out with Trump. You're like, can I call down fire to burn him up? <laughs> Many of you would be doing it, right? Because we're tribal. Because we don't want people to disagree with us because we've worked so hard at accumulating power and protecting our power and protecting our own ego and insecurities because we're human beings. And Jesus understands this and Jesus is gracious to us in that process. So I have to do this next part really quick. So here we go. There's three boxes. Box number one is the box of construction. Box number one is also generally conservative. Conservative is not evil or bad. Conservative is simply you want to conserve something. You grew up in a nice town in Nebraska and everyone got along and now all of a sudden things are changing. There are people with brown skin coming into your town, right? I'm, not, I'm saying this facetiously but also seriously. You're not probably evil. This is just the way of life that you knew and you're trying to conserve that. And most of the time in this first box of construction and conservatism, you use information or legality to protect the system that you are within. That's just normal. Human beings do that. That doesn't mean that's the final stop of humanity. The next box that we live into is deconstructionism, right? Here in deconstructionism, a lot of times we call this liberal or we call it progressive, uh, what happens in this box is not, you're not accumulating information. A lot of times what you're now in is that you're in the process of reformation. You're trying to change some things. I don't like everything about the box that I grew up in and I'm gonna make a point and you know, I'm gonna let everybody know what's going on here. Again, I don't, I don't say that lightly. These are just real and normal boxes that humanity goes through through every age and through every era. Here's the shadow side of each of these boxes. The shadow side of conservatism is fear. That's what conservatism used as this most powerful weapon on the shadow side of what it's best at. It uses fear. How do I know that? Donald J. Trump. I don't care what you believe about him or if you voted for him or whatever, at the end of the, end of the day, that is the technique that he uses and it worked. Now let me critique the deconstruction box, the liberal progressive box. The shadow side of deconstruction and liberalism is anger. 
both fear and anger do not build lasting structures. Both fear and anger is not the final stop for humanity. Both fear and anger is not the box that Jesus leaves his followers in. Some of you have the right to be angry at some things and you want to burn down some houses. And to be honest, some houses should be burned down, right? And the other truth is, there's something to be gleaned from the conservative world because historically, conservatives do a better job of building some things than progressives do. Because progressives get to a place where they're just always questioning stuff and never get to a point of actually building something from the ground level. Here's the point, don't be trapped in one box or the other. Don't let anybody take you or subdue your consciousness to say that it, this is the right way or this is the right way. Neither of them are the way of Jesus all in, uh, in their own. The third way is the way of Jesus. This is the way of reconstruction. This is not a box of fear. This is not a box of anger. This is a box of love. And the box of love is incredibly difficult because in the box of love, you will have to choose to be powerless and you will have to choose to empower. How do I know that again? Fall in love. Have a kid. Care about something else more than you care about yourself. And if you're doing this, you're a sociopath, right? Or a narcissist or whatever, or just a normal human being figuring out how to be married because you're like, what are you doing putting the paper towels there, right? <laughs> Woo! Krista knows what I'm talking about. But the road that you move on in your marriage or your relationship or raising a child is, I love this thing more than myself and I wanna become powerless to it or I wanna empower it because that's the real way moving forward. And so Kanye West, you wonder what I was getting there. Kanye West said a lot of things this week. Uh, but I think the reality of what he's trying to say in the Oval Office is this. I think there's this deeper reality of, I think somehow a third way, somewhere weird in there, is what I got. And he was trying to talk about equality in some capacity, is what I heard. But the deeper message, what I hear him talking about, and I actually hear um, like Jay-Z and Beyonce, and in particular a lot of rappers who talk about this reality of it's not just equality, it's equity. You can hand out equality, that's not the same thing as equity. You can have people in a room who say, yeah, you're as equal as me, but if our paychecks continue to be different, if I possess all of the land and the power and the capacity to hire and fire people, but you do not, that's not real equality. Because that equity will always come back and it will hurt you because what human beings will eventually do is they will protect the equity that they have, they will protect the power that they have, they will accumulate it and they will protect it and it will continue to create uh, systems in this world that are corrupt. And so both of these boxes, whether it's Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, are both capable of doing that. They're both capable of utilizing power in a way that's destructive. And so that's where we move to a third way. Dave Chappelle says this great thing on one of his Netflix comedy specials where he's talking about the Me Too movement and he's getting into some you know, hairy water because he's Dave Chappelle and a comedian. He's gonna say some ridiculous things in a pretty brilliant way a lot of times. And he pauses to the moment for the women in the room and he says, don't you forget that I'm black. Don't you forget this reality that my people have suffered for 400 years. And what he eventually gets to is the apartheid story of South Africa. And what he's trying to say in this narrative is if you don't practice truth and reconciliation is what he talks about. If we don't live more into powerlessness and empowerment, if you only wanna live into the world of anger, here's what happens. You will have them scared, but history has shown us, keep the powerful people scared and silent, but when they come back, they will come back stronger because they still have all the equity. 
They still have all of the power. So if we cannot practice a way to come to the table in powerlessness and empowerment, you may get equality for a time, but it will not actually change the systems of the world. Jesus is in this endless effort with his disciples to show them that. I'm not giving you a little bit of power so that you can go do the exact same things to the systems that oppress you. I'm getting, giving, giving you a little bit of power so that you can be different than these systems and so that you can actually change the real politics of this world. And that only happens when we embody love in this way. Not when we embody fear, not when we embody anger, and those are both real and important emotions to embody sometimes. But when we embody love in this third way in a different capacity, I think that's when we live into the way of Jesus and when we change politics. But love is not a concept. Where's my beautiful daughter? She's coming. Hi, Bella. Come see Daddy. She's like, Dad, Mom, you know I don't like big crowds like this. Oh, I know. I want to see Daddy right now. Yeah. You want to see Uncle Lippy? Yeah. She loves me, I swear. Hi, sweetheart. How are you doing? This is, this is not a concept. This is not a concept in which I hold into ideologically where I want to continue to live into these boxes of fear to these boxes of anger. Every time that I look into Bella's face, it's a reminder that I want to live into a third way because a third way has enduring power in our lives. And there's a narrative that was given to me before we ever started doing Abby, and it goes like this. I was working at another church where thousands of people were showing up. They tended to be white, they tended to be middle class, and they tended to be pretty powerful. And for a season of my life, a friend of mine began to invite a bunch of young black men to this church between the ages of 19 and 21. And none of these young men stuck at this church. Finally, one day, a guy comes in. He's 6'5", he's 250 pounds, he's African-American. He stood out in this crowd. And I asked him this question, what was your experience like? And he said to me these words, everyone was very nice to me here. And I'm sure that if I came here a while, they would eventually invite me to lunch. But we all know that at the end of the day, nobody here will ever let me date their daughters. That's why I started New Abbey. Where we move from theology and 30,000 feet of politics that endlessly divide us to where we could actually be in a place where we could marry off our sons and daughters. Seriously, that sounds weird. That sounds very Mormon. <laughs> And I would like to invite you all to now write a $30,000 check to my commune. <laughs> that was supposed to be meaningful, and it just got creepy. <laughs> you can choose to marry whoever you want. I'm so sorry for that, yeah. I'm an executive one day, C-suite, Fortune 50. I'm my dad's retirement plan. <laughs> Love is not a concept. Powerlessness and empowerment is something that we all experience every single day. How do we localize the politics of that in an embodied experience and move it away from a theoretical view uh, is what we're gonna be working with the next few weeks here as we think about politics of Jesus. I have this question for you to think about as we finish with here today. What internal and external steps can you take towards a third way? And I completely forgot about my in and out thing, so you have no idea what that means. So what I'm gonna say is, Talk about whatever you want. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.